Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where you are part owner. Member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by Lee Pomeroy. Good morning. We are starting our segment for Every Day is Earth Day with a very special guest from Minnesota State University, Mankato. It is Dr. Mrigunko Day, who is an assistant professor of soils here on the campus at Minnesota State University and also in charge of the Soil and Water Quality Lab. He's done a lot of work with sustainable soil and water quality, so I think he'll add some great discussion to our weekly topics relating on how we can improve our own environment. Good morning, Dr. Day. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Now, the study of soils is a relatively new to Minnesota State University, isn't it? Yes, you are right. So basically, University or Minnesota State University, they started this agriculture program, I think, a few years back. And now Minnesota State University is regarded as the non-land-grant agricultural university. It's affiliated by USDA. And I guess I was hired based on that program as a soil ecologist in the Department of Biological Sciences here. What is your interest in soils? Why did you come with this background and this interest? Um, so maybe I have to go back a little bit from my childhood days. Okay. <laughs> so I'm originally from India and I'm originally from a, a small village back in India. I mean, we have our own farming, even though my dad is not a farmer, but I guess that's how I saw, I got interested what are the different crops that uh, my dad, when he actually uh, was working with some other people because those land were like leased to those persons or like rented basically. And that's how I got my interest. And then our education system kind of allowed me to go for my undergraduate program in agricultural honors, we call it, like bachelor's in agricultural honors. And once I was done, then there were like different subjects and I liked most the soils because I think like what we are today, like all the different kind of buildings, if you see around all the cultural heritage or the history or every day, what do we need? Like we eat right? Where does it come from? It's coming from the soil. So Mother Nature or the soil, it's providing a medium where all the crops or the plants are being grown. So I thought like that's pretty interesting and intriguing. And the thing is, usually people used to think like soil is like, okay, uh, it's producing only the crops. But nowadays, when you are thinking about like the global warming or greenhouse gases and a lot of these things, and agriculture is one of the major sources, but at the same time, it can act as a sink of those greenhouse gases. I mean, we can talk about that a lot, but basically soil actually provides different kind of ecosystem services. We call it ecosystem services because we all are living in that or a part of that ecosystem where we can think about like different kind of nutrients cycling because plants they are not like human beings that they they do not have a hand that they can go hey i like <laughs> this food and i'm going to get have it 
so they cannot do that. So there are a lot of this biodiversity which is present in our soils. The soil is basically the home or the sh they provide the shelter for a lot of these microorganisms and they are constantly working on, over there. And being a soil scientist, I tell them like they are my heroes. You know, they're constantly working there. They're uh, providing all these nutrients to the plants. They are purifying the water. Okay, they are regulating the climate. So the list will go on and on. Maybe I should stop here because... Um, it's so, such a big topic. Yeah, it's such a big topic, exactly. Well, my interest became from growing up on the farm, too, and we had dairy as well as crops that we fed to the dairy. And I'm a huge gardener, so I'm all very interested as well. And it's as time has gone on, we seem to have learned more how connected the soil is to a lot of things going on in a broader perspective, such as uh, climate change. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how the soil connects with carbon change or um, climate change, because I was reading something about carbon farming and what that is, is actually harvesting carbon, which you don't normally think of that. You think of harvesting corn or oats or beans or something. So let's talk a little bit about that and how soil is so connected to our overall uh, global change. Sure, I think that's a very good question and it's a very relevant question, uh, like in a current time, I would say. Um, so you are right, like we always talk about like the corn or the soybean since we are in the Midwest, maybe those are our cash crops. But you know, these days I was just coming across a recent article where it says that, okay, carbon is the new cash crop. Yeah, and I can't wrap my he my head around that because carbon is an element. Yeah, it is. It is. You, are you can't pick it up. I mean, <laughs> so so how do you harvest carbon and why? Yeah. So if you think about that, okay, whatever we are, like all the plants or the, all the animals, our body's basic uh, material or the basic building block element would be the carbon, right? right? So the plants, if we think about the plants, they actually do photosynthesis, that's the process through which they make the food. Now how they do that, so they actually derive the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, and then they take water through their roots from the soil, and then they use the sunlight as a source of energy, and then they convert that into a food. And when they make that food, then we human beings or any other animals, we are eating that and getting that energy. All right. So think about it that, okay, if we are uh, doing a lot of this deforestation or killing these plants or like destroying those things, we cannot get those carbon to be captured or trapped into our soil. What happens? It just goes up in the atmosphere or where does it go? Yes, it goes to the atmosphere. So if you think about it, in our atmosphere, there are a lot of different gases are present. So maximum amount of gas, which is present as actually nitrogen gas, right. but it's, it's present as inert gas or unreactive gas because it's not reacting with anything. Like in this room, we are sitting here and nitrogen is present here, but that's like around 78% and it's not causing any problem to us. But if you think about CO2, it's actually very small amount, but still is causing a huge problem because CO2 or the carbon dioxide gas, it has the ability to trap the heat and then it can warm our uh, atmosphere or our planet. Uh, so then we call it like global warming, but it's not only the CO2 or the carbon dioxide gas, but also there's a lot of other gases which is also present like methane that is an important global warming or greenhouse gas. There is also nitrous oxide. So these three gases are the major gases which is causing these global warming or the we call them also greenhouse gases. But it's because of man doing things that make the release of this the problem. I mean, before man does, does certain things, talk about how 
we as humans are impacting the release of these gases into the atmosphere. Sure. Um, so here is the thing. So if you think about it, like when the Industrial Revolution actually happened around like 1750 or so, so within the last 200 years or before, actually, if we see a trend of our CO2 or the carbon dioxide uh, gas concentration into our atmosphere, it was actually less than 300 parts per million. But within this last 150 to 200 years, when human, we actually did a lot of bad things with our mother nature, our nature is not happy with that. And as a reason, now, currently, like 2019 data, actually, from Environmental Protection Agency and also IPCC, they showed that, okay, the CO2 concentration into our atmosphere is around 409 ppm. And it happened only, like, last... 200 years. So basically, we human beings, we are actually like transporting a lot of our cars or the vehicles every day. We are doing agriculture because our population is going up. If you think about it, right now our population is around like 7.5 billion or maybe more. And by 2050, it's going to cross actually more than 9 billion people. So think about, we have to feed all these many people, how we are going to do that. So when we are increasing the population, but at the same time, we are decreasing the land, but we still need to produce a lot more food. So that means our agriculture, we need to come up with some ideas or the technology so that, okay, we can grow more and more. How does the, the farming part, which you mentioned, contributes a big piece of the global warming? How does that actually contribute then? Does the, the carbon leach out of the soil or how does it? get there. I, I would not use that leach out, okay, the term, term. Okay. because then leach out means the way it comes into my mind is like some other elements like nitrogen, oh. like it's leaching sure. out with water through the groundwater, maybe surface water end up going to that. Uh, so if I would mention that CO2 is actually going back to the atmosphere from the soil. Now here is the good thing that, okay, our soil is actually the, it reserves the maximum amount of the terrestrial carbon content. Right. So that's good. That is actually good. But the thing is, with our climate change or the global warming, when the temperature actually goes up, this carbon, which is already stored in our soil, that gets oxidized. That means with, in the presence of the oxygen. And then it produces that CO2 or the carbon dioxide gas and goes back to the atmosphere, which is not good because then it produces as a greenhouse gas. At the same time, there are a lot of kind of management practices that we follow in our, in our farming community or the agrarian society where they are doing it so such as like different kind of tillage practices that we do that causes a lot of these different kind of greenhouse gases way back in the 70s my dad was one of the first adopters of uh, conservation tillage or, or no-till and that was something they talked about back then that would help reduce erosion and a lot of people didn't like to do that because maybe it they didn't feel they got the yield but I think things have changed through the years and so no-till and even putting farm property aside for like CRP, the Conservation Reserve Program. I know you've done some research in that area. So how does that sort of thing help? Yes. So if we talk about that CRP first, uh, so the name itself, it is known as Conservation Reserve Program, mm -hmm. which is actually governed by USDA. And they started it around, I think, 1985. Right. So if you think about it, we are in 2021, almost like 35 years back, kind of they started this program. Has it made a difference? Yes. Absolutely, yes. it did. And actually, the paper that you talked about that we published, it did definitely uh, contributed to the significant amount, actually, to our CO2 gas emission, which was supposed to be coming out from the agriculture land. But through CRP, we actually reduced that. The main purpose of CRP was, okay, any kind of degraded land, can we grow some grasses over there so that there will be less runoff, less erosion, and then 
side by side, we found that, okay, there are some co-benefits that we are getting, which is the carbon sequestration. And maybe if I elaborate that term, the sequestration, basically you are sequestering the carbon from the atmosphere to the land, or back, you are trapping that. Way back then when they first started that, was that what they were thinking of carbon sequestration or it was more about re-erosion and other things? You're right. So at that time, they thought more about that, okay, how we can protect our soil from oh. erosion. Because if you think about 1930 in the U.S., we had Dust Bowl, right. right? Which is the huge part that when people started about like, okay, soil revolution, actually, I, I would say, like, or the soil health revolution kind of started. In those days, we used to call it like soil quality. Now we are talking about more soil health because now it has more life. Or we are going towards the regenerative agriculture, how we can regenerate our soil so that we can get maximum yield, but at the same time, we can sequester maximum amount of this global warming or the greenhouse gases. Because what I feel being a soil scientist or an agriculturist or an agronomist, or if you think about like, uh, ecologist, our main goal is can we use that soil as a reservoir? I mean, that's how it is. And what does that mean as a reserver? So what I mean by that, that okay, when the CO2 is present in the atmosphere, it's in the form of a gas or right. in a gaseous form. Just think about if you're boiling a water, so there's a water vapor that's in a gaseous mm -hmm. form, right? Or whatever we are inhaling, right? So that's the oxygen. Otherwise, we cannot survive. So that's a gaseous form. But when that CO2 is present in the gaseous form, it's actually harmful for us or not us means not only the human beings, but also any kind of organisms, any animals which is present on our planet. But if we can actually put that or store it back in a solidify in the form of soil organic matter, then it's actually good because we are storing them. At the same time, it actually produces or provides a lot of different kind of benefits for our soil health. So for example, through soil organic matter or increasing the soil organic matter, we are actually improving the soil water content. So. USDA, or actually it's NRCS, they did some calculation on that, that okay, if we can increase about like 1% of soil organic matter in your farm, that means you can hold a huge amount of moisture, which could be equivalent to 150 days of water, which is being flowed by Niagara Falls. Wow. Yeah, that's a huge amount, right? Right. So what I believe that, okay, if the farmers or the ranchers who are thinking about that, okay, we need to save our world. It's not only for my own generation, but we are thinking about the future generation. They need to think about how we can promote all these soil health practices or the management practices, or in other words, I would call them like climate smart soil management practices. Now, that sounds well and good, but how do you get people to do it actually? I mean, unless there's immediate benefit for some people financially, they don't, like you said, think into the future. So what types of things, and is it enough that if all the farmers started to do these types of practices that you mentioned, would that be enough to help our overall global warming issues? Well, that's the goal. <laughs> but I know it's not that easy because right. there are a lot of problems. Um, uh, for example, what I can say that, okay, some farmers, if they're traditionally, if they're growing something, I mean, they do not want to change their traditional right. farming. Right, we've grown corn for years and years, we've grown beans, and I know farmers near nearby, every year it's either beans or corn, beans or corn. When we were farming, it was uh, rotating with alfalfa that would put the nitrogen back in the soil or clovers and that sort of thing. Right, or or in our other thing, you might think about that, okay, when you are go, uh, growing like corn after corn, or we call it like continuous corn, but instead of doing that, 
that if we can introduce some legume crops which is actually good for soil health also it can be economical for the farmers because it's a legume crop and what they can do they can actually fix the atmospheric nitrogen and they can provide that nitrogen to the next crop so that means if a farmer is growing some soybean in between their main cash crop maybe it's the corn that means they are actually applying the less amount of the fertilizer to their farm so you save money of course it yes. is because if you think about that okay corn is a very nitrogen demanding crop so that means it needs a lot of nitrogen but if you can grow a next crop which could be a legume crop it can be soybean or it can be alfalfa it can be clover it can be some other uh, legume crops like any kind of beans maybe that will be actually definitely beneficial for the soil health as well as the environmental health do you have any examples of places where people are successfully employing a lot of these practices where we see the results? You know, we mentioned the CRP program, but are there other areas where we're seeing big gains in terms of sequestering the carbon? And, and we mentioned the word carbon farming, and I, that's hard for me to picture like you're going to carbon do you want me to farm? Yeah, I want you to explain. Yeah, what do you want me to explain is? what is yeah. carbon farming? Yeah, exactly. What is that? Because it's I see news articles. In fact, I showed you one when you came in, and they talk about you know the carbon farming as a, a way of the future. Yeah. So, so carbon farming. If I define that, it's kind of a process or a farming process. I would say where they're implementing different kind of soil health management practices through which they can actually reduce the amount of carbon which is being. Uh, gone to the atmosphere, but they are converting into through those management practices to the plant body material or the soil organic matter. So think about it that, okay, the CO2, I think we already discussed about that already present in our atmosphere, maybe in a small amount, but still it's causing that problem. But now you are binding it up through the plants that we are growing in their body through the process, which is known as photosynthesis. And then when those plants, when they die, uh, or when we harvest those crops, they actually end up going to the soil. So that means one of the management practices that the farmers can easily can do that would be uh, the residue. So farmers used to remove a lot of residues, but the new concept or it's new means not new, so maybe. Like no-till. Like yeah. no-till, there will be like a residue. So keep most of the residues in the farm so that your uh, soil is totally covered with those or maybe the cover crops that's an, another example would be like um, if you can grow cover crops that actually gives you a lot of other benefits so when you say carbon farming can you make money by carbon farming well then i have to term it in a different way okay so there's a new term these days people call it carbon credit actually through Carbi car carbon, carbon credit carbon credits oh. yeah it's it's a new term and there are a lot of companies actually they're doing it so there's a company called indigo egg you might have heard about it mm -hmm. and there is some other companies and day after day the government as well as all these companies they are um I would say providing a lot of support in those kind of programs so that they can encourage the farmers that hey let's do this kind of um soil and management practices so that you can earn money. That's why we are calling it instead of, of course you are doing carbon farming, but you are earning some money, that's why it's the carbon credits. But you have to think about that, okay, there is always kind of some pros and cons. <laughs> so while you are going through those kind of route, you need to think about whether it is beneficial or not because you need to have a proper system. How does that work, that carbon credit system? So there are a lot of uncertainties, which is right now people, when I'm saying people, that means the companies as well as the scientists, they are thinking about it. So there is a hype that, okay, carbon credits. So companies like Indigoeg, there is another company called Nori, all right? There is another one, I think, um, 
low-cost agricultural solution. And a lot of other companies these days like Danone, uh, MACD, Target, they are also contributing to the regenerative ag agriculture and they are thinking about that millions of acres of farming community, they want to help them and they want to promote the soil health management practices. And if farmers are going through those kind of routes, they will get or earn some money. So it's a win-win situation, but I'm still kind of confused how the procedure works and there are a lot of kind of uncertainties exist. So we're really not a, not an immediate answer at this point, doesn't sound like. Uh, well, there are a lot of farmers still earning because as I said, a lot of companies are still doing that. I'm not quite sure how they are judging that, okay, how much amount of the carbon they are actually storing. Mm. Because if you think about it, when I say uncertainties, the carbon that you're storing through the plant body, at the same time, it's it's a continuous process. Microbes are continuously releasing those right. carbon to the atmosphere. Now, let's say X amount of carbon that you're storing, but at the same time, Y amount of carbon is going out to the atmosphere. Now, what's the difference that X minus Y that is, that is stored into your soil, how they are actually defining? Because we know how to measure total carbon in your soil. We know how to measure the carbon in your plant. But those methods are very expensive. But most of the carbon credit industry, like those companies, they are providing those money to the farmer based on the modeling. Okay. So maybe they need a lot of data, or I'm not quite sure how they're doing those things. <laughs> OK. Now, in your title, one of the things you are in charge of the soil and water quality lab. So we're talking specifically about soils. How is the quality of water tied to what we want to do with soil? Sure. Actually, that's a very good question. And they're very closely linked to each other. All right. So think about that. Okay, you have a household and you have a farming. And next to the farm, you have a stream or a ditch or a pond. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are not managing your soil properly, that means through runoff. That means when there is a rainfall or not only Minnesota, the other parts of the US or maybe other parts of the world where they do the irrigation farming, at that time when they're providing the irrigation through surface runoff or sometimes through leaching, all right? So all these nutrients are being leached. Right. So plants have a capacity that they can take a certain amount of food or the nutrients, all right? So if you give them, let's say, 150 pounds of nitrogen per acre, they cannot take up that 150 pounds. They might be taking 100 pounds. All right. So what what's the fate of that extra 50 pounds that will be lost? Now, if we think about that nitrogen cycle, the way it works, or the carbon cycle, the way it works, there is a gaseous component. So there is always some amount of nitrogen is being lost to the atmosphere as gas, or the carbon is being lost to the atmosphere as gas. Now, if those carbon or the nitrogen, if we think about especially the water quality, the nitrogen is the biggest problem. Mm -hmm. At the same time, phosphorus is also a big problem. Now, one good thing about phosphorus is phosphorus actually easily get bind up with the soil particles, all right? Or it's kind of stored there. But for nitrogen, there are two different forms actually present in the soil. One is called the ammonium form, which is a charge, which is the positive charge. And then there is another form called nitrate form, which has a negative charge. Now, the soil itself, it's a negatively charged actually colloid. Okay. Now, if you think about it, it's like high school or the middle school kind of, you know, that positive and negative, they kind of attract to each other, right? <laughs> yes. So... So that means the ammonium, which is the positively charged ion, so they will get easily get bind up with the soil. 
I mean, there is some amount that can be lost, right. some amount will be taken up by the plants. But when it comes to nitrate, since it's a negatively charged iron and soil itself, it's a negatively charged iron, they repulse to each other and then it gets easily dissolved with the water and then it gets transported through runoff or can be through leaching or there is another fate would be it's transported as a gaseous form like a nitrous oxide, which is a, again, global warming or a greenhouse gas. So what can be done about that then? Because that's obviously something we want to improve our waters because, you know, we have a lot of polluted waters. Right. So that nitrate, which is actually being lost, that's actually one of the major pollutants in our waters. Okay. All right. So one of the problems that we always think about, uh, we know that, okay, nitrate, the EPA drinking water permissible limit is around 10 parts per million. So if it is less than that, maybe you are good. But if it is more than that, you are not supposed to be drinking that water. So how we can reduce that? So there are a lot of things that we can do or the farmers can do that. So like cover crops, it's a, it's a one of the major or important uh, soil management practice that the farmers can easily go for because the cover crops, they can bind those nitrate, uh, especially during the fall. And then they can actually- Like your clovers, other legumes exactly. and things like that, buckwheats. Those <laughs> exactly. So they can bind it up. And during the spring, then again, they will be releasing that nitrogen when the plants they need it during the crop growing season. So that's one way. There are other ways, like a lot of organic amendments that we can use these days, uh, like biochar would be one of the organic amendments. There are some other organic amendments that we can use to actually protect those nitrate leaching, and that's the way we can improve our water quality. So one of the things that I was doing uh, research on, which is basically a biodiesel byproduct, all right, and which is known as glycerine. So those who are more involved in the biodiesel industry, so they know when we grow all these uh, biodiesel crops, uh, especially like soybean is used for biodiesel production, and uh, as a byproduct, we we produce a chemical called glycerin. Glycerin. Now, that's something I think of when I think of glycerin as a household product, too. It is. It's, oh. it's actually used as like sweetener or yeah. like artificial sweetener, right? Um, also, the, the way actually people started using glycerin was uh, explosive, actually. Oh. <laughs> a long time ago, like during World War One or Two, I cannot remember, but sometime people used to use like trinitrotoluene. That was actually part of... Uh, TNT. TNT, yeah. yeah. Right. That's part of the explosive where glycerin was used as the raw material. Well, so how has your research using glycerin, what sorts of things are you doing and how does it benefit? Yeah, so <clears throat> before I joined actually uh, Minnesota State University, I was working with Iowa State University. And there, what we did, we are collaborating with a company and we got that product, that glycerin. And what we did, because glycerin, it's a carbon-based compound. Now, oh. what happens actually, if we apply that in the soil, microbes are just like us. They get their energy from the carbon compounds. All right. So you basically, we are feeding them. We are like, hey, this is your food. <laughs> All right. Let's have some party. Okay. And then microbes, they become happy and they need that carbon from that uh, source or the organic amendment, we can call it. <clears throat> At the same time, uh, the microbes, they also need nitrogen for their body or the cell growth and development, or we call it also carbon and the nitrogen ratio for their body. So right. these are the good things in the soil, the microbes that are the good things in the of soil. Of course, yeah. yeah. That's why we always talk about we need the more biodiversity in our soil. Sure. Right? I, I mean, these days when we talk about the soil health, it's the living part. Like health is related to always the living part, right? So, yeah, so we applied that and I did some lab-based study and where we found that, okay, when we applied that glycerin, within like 60 to 90 days, we saw that, okay, there is no nitrate actually available over there. So like, you applied it to the soil? Yes, before or after you had the plants in, or 
No, so we did a lab-based study, so there oh. were no plant no because plants. we wanted to make our proof of concept. Okay. Because if it works, that means then we can take it to the field. All so right? there's a potential that this might be yes. uh, basically a, a healthy way. It won't hurt the soil and, and the environment in any way that could be used for the future. And how far along is that? Well, it's I would say right now still in an experimental phase. Okay. I mean, there are a lot of other studies uh, is done by a uh, lot of scientists from Canada. I have seen a lot of papers are coming out from there. Um, but it's pretty new concept, and we are working on it. In fact, at Iowa State, now they are actually taking it to the field. Now they're applying that glycerin in the field. Hmm. Okay. Um, other than that, I guess these are some of the parts that people can do that to reduce the nitrate leaching, which is causing the water quality problems. But some other things that we can always do, just like cover crops, we can grow a lot of perennials. All right. Perennials? Like perennial grasses. Oh, yes. Right. And and the natives are such a good thing, too, because oh, yeah. they have the deeper roots. I mentioned to you off the air, I'm growing a lot of natives along the, the shoreline because they are able to absorb a lot of the the water and things that carry pollutants before they go into the lake. And that's one thing I think is a really important thing to do. Yeah, you are absolutely right. And you made a good point that their root system. So basically all these perennials, if you think about it, or if you look a picture of any kind of perennial grasses, their roots are very deep. Now, yes. if you think about it, if they're going that deep, that means when they die, all these roots are getting decomposed and become part of the soil organic matter. And it's not only the plow layer, like plow layer, when we think about it, it's like zero to 30 centimeter or one feet, but it's actually going beyond that. So that's definitely another way that we can actually contribute that, okay, any pollutant like nitrate, as we talked about, it can actually take it up and it can bind it up and then become part of the soil organic matter. I'm also trying to convince people that planting clover in their yard is actually a good thing, too, because w when we just have the regular Kentucky bluegrass, which mm -hmm. we have here, a lot of times that's sort of a vast wasteland, you know, with with very uh, shallow roots compared with using something like a clover or something that takes with the nitrogen. So I'm not sure how you feel about that and how maybe as people in cities contribute, not just agriculture. I mostly deal with the agricultural sure. part. Yeah, I mean, uh, but urban agriculture is becoming more and more popular because a lot of people are now moving or the urbanization is actually increasing or the urban sprawl is actually basically it's it's uh, day by day it's increasing so definitely i might think it has a potential i won't say that okay, it does not have but definitely i need to see that okay what other people are doing if there is any experiment has been done on that if those results are very promising then definitely why not i mean based on the science the carbon nitrogen ratio of the clover maybe it is a good way to kind of sequester all the carbon as well as the nitrate we are talking with Dr. Riganko Day, who is an assistant professor of soils and in charge of the Soil and Water Quality Lab here at Minnesota State University about sustainable soil and water quality and some of his research and all the things we can do with the soil and its impacts on global warming. We are just about out of time, but is there any resource or place people can go to find out maybe more information if they want to learn about this topic? First of all, I have my personal website and um, you can Google just Minnesota State University by my name into the Department of Biological Sciences. You can go to my website. And But other resources like USD NRCS, they have a lot of these resources regarding soil health management. And practices. what does that stand for again? which is the Natural Resource Conservation Services, okay, which is part of the USDA, United States Department of Agriculture. All right, very good. Anything else you'd like to add before 
I let you go. Thanks for having me. And uh, I want that all the farmers in the Minnesota that okay, they will be going through all the soil health management practices. It's it's not only good for you that when you are here, but we need to think about that. Okay, our future generation. I mean, we I might be happy right now all the resources which is present for me, but I might need to think about my future generation. So, think about it. Go for it. It's beneficial economically, environmentally, and for your personal health. Thank you so much, Dr. Day. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, bye-bye. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where you are part owner. Member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by Lee Pomeroy. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union. With two locations in Mankato since 1934, it pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.